This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Michael Perry from Kit shared his story of how he developed a Shopify app that was then acquired by Shopify. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that used Amazon as a proving ground to build a $2.5 million business. In this episode, you'll learn how to use Amazon reviews to figure out how to improve on an existing product, what is consumerability and why you want to sell a product that has consumerability, and how they're using the free plus shipping model to get customers to make a profitable purchase later. Today, I'm joined by Mike Jackness from ColorIt.com and EcomCrew.com. Color It strives to make the best coloring books for adults on the market with hardback covers, spiral bindings, artist quality paper, and bonus blotters. It was started in 2015 and based out of San Diego, California. Welcome, Mike. Hey, how's it going? So tell us a little bit more about your store and what are some of the most popular products? Yeah, so Color It got started after like an evolution of a bunch of different e-commerce stuff that we've been doing. Uh, we had uh, treadmill.com was our first site, then we got into icetraps.com. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But <clears throat> the idea basically was to create a product from the ground up. We we kind of got over the whole buying other people's products or doing drop shipping and things of that nature. So we had a whole bunch of different criteria, which we can, you know, I don't know if you want to get into that, but it was basically at a high level, things that are light, easy to ship, that are hard to break in shipping, that don't have a shelf life and things of that nature. So color it kind of fit all those different things. And my cousin Erica actually is the one that brought me the idea. And she knew that we were doing e-commerce. And I was like, that's something that I'm definitely interested in being a part of. And that's basically how it was born. Um, and, and my approach to anything that I do is to kind of be an overachiever. So you know, I'm not the guy that goes on Alibaba and tries to buy 25 or 50 of you know something off Alibaba Express and just resell that on Amazon. You know, so my thought process was when we started color it if we were going to do it, was to be able to to create like a leapfrog product. And I kind of think of the iPhone when it first came out. I mean, everybody was kind of using, you know, quote-unquote smartphones phones that were flip phones. Uh, and, and iPhone was just, it, it leaped a generation. Uh, and, and that was kind of what we wanted to do with the coloring book market. And so we innovated by adding hardback covers and putting a spiral binding on it so it can lay flat and using like true artist-grade paper and putting a blotter in there and there's some other things that we kind of did and, and used artists, you know, real artists to draw the, the artwork. And, you know, it seems like so trivial, the, you know, right now, cause you know, a year later looking back at it, there's a lot of people that have copied what we've done, but up until that point, you know, a coloring book basically was the same thing as if you were to buy a fiction novel off of uh, the shore at Barnes and uh, shelf. I mean, off of, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble was just you know crappy quality paper, and it was a paperback that would kind of collapse on itself as you were trying to color. You'd be holding it with one hand and trying to color, and if you're left-handed, it's even more frustrating. So, we basically you know saw a market out there that was doing quite well. And wanted to improve upon it, and that's how we kind of came up with Color It. That's definitely very cool. So you mentioned that you like to overachieve on everything. You don't just buy products off of AliExpress or Dropship or take something that already exists and just resell it. You improve upon it. How do you decide what you should focus on improving in a product? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing we do is you look at at the internet, and Amazon's a great place to start, and look at the negative reviews and see what other people are complaining about. And all those things I mentioned were things people were complaining about, but you know, to to wrap it up on a nutshell, the Reader's Digest version, my feeling is that if I wouldn't leave a five-star review myself, like in a static five-star review, like a five-star plus review myself, and be honest with myself, then it's not a product that I want to sell myself. So that's kind of the standard we hold ourselves to. You mentioned that a relative of yours brought this idea of adult coloring books to you. Tell us about the background of this. Is this an existing niche or market? How did you know that this would grow over time? Yeah, so I, mean, I looked at Google Trends and typed in adult coloring books, and I saw this huge spike, like a hockey stick. And unfortunately, you know, looking back at it now, if you look at uh, Google Trends, it's kind of turned out to be a, a mountain peak. And, and we're hoping that you know it's just a seasonal thing that uh, in uh, you know Christmas time it'll it'll pick back up again, holiday season. So. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, our sales continue to grow. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, too terribly concerned about it. I think that it, any market like that's going to have some shrinkage. You know, it might be a kind of a fatty thing. But, you know, our hope is that long term it, it consolidates a little bit, but it's always ahead of where it was before. Uh, so it's something that, you know, hopefully has some staying power. But it definitely concerns me that it could be a fatty thing. And, you know, three years from now, nobody's talking about adult coloring. Uh, which is one of the reasons why we do diversify. We have a bunch of other brands that we're working on that are, you know, in the baby niche, uh, which I don't think will ever change unless uh, if people stop having babies, we'll really be in trouble. Uh, and then also the pet industry as well. So where we can apply some of that same unique uh, factors where, that I was mentioning to products that exist out there uh, in those industries. So yeah, it's definitely a concern with coloring, but at the time and and still, uh, I think you know there's still longevity and colored pencils and gel pens and markers and uh, greeting cards and all these other things that we're, we've been putting out uh, with uh, great success. And and actuality is that you know our, our profit margins and, and profitability as a company have been higher on some of the accessories rather than the coloring books, which is not what we expected to begin with out of the gates. I think Google Trends is definitely a place you should check if you're determining if you should enter a market or not. So for anyone out there that wants to use Google Trends to determine if a market is viable, what should they be looking at? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you type in, you know, there's definitely some, like if you type in hula hoops or yo-yos or something, like I'm bad at thinking of things like this off the fly, but there's definitely a lot of industries where it's just like a long, slow decline in death, right? That's just kind of heading towards zero uh, over a period of sometimes one, sometimes five, sometimes 10 years or whatever. And, you know, I don't really want to be involved in that type of a business. We've actually been in that type of a business. We were so my, my background was actually doing uh, online poker affiliate marketing, of all things. I was really into playing poker 15 years ago and started doing that. Um, and that, if you type into Google Trends, it's the same thing, right? And you know, we were riding a wave up, which was it felt really great, but then it was a, a wave down. And you know, it, all you can do is try to catch a falling knife, and it hurts no matter how you, how you try to catch a falling knife, right? So it's uh, something we try to stay away from. If you were to open up Google Trends and you typed in keywords for your market and you saw that it was declining or flatlining, would you say no to going into that market, or could there still be an opportunity? Yeah, declining I think is bad, right? I mean, if I were to open up uh, Google Trends today and look at adult coloring, I'd be a little concerned, quite frankly, because it, it is you know now – uh, a year later, it's kind of like I said, looks like a mountain peak, and we're hoping that it's just like I said, a seasonal thing because the mountain peak was back in November, December. So, and it, there's no history. Like if you have a a ten year old term, you can look at, you can see, okay, well every December there's a peak in volume. So, um, you know, right now I would definitely be a little bit more on the concern side. Now, if it's something that's more established, I think that you know, steady a flat line is actually good, right? I mean, I I love to see some term of uh, that has a flat line over five or ten years, I, I think that that's great. And it's a, a large market so you can go to Google Keyword Planner and see how many times a month the, the thing gets searched. And if it's a large number and it's been consistent for, for five, ten years, that's great. Now, if you you know put that on a slope going downwards and then it's just the declining market over five or ten years, that's something I would definitely stay away from. You mentioned earlier the criteria you have when choosing products like seeing upwards or stable trends and also mentioned for this particular product for color it you wanted to find a product that didn't have a short shelf life was easy to ship won't easily break in shipping or handling anything else you make sure to check off the list when thinking about introducing a new product product line or even new business Definitely and and the reason that we came up with this list is actually stems off of doing treadmill.com to begin with where you know, the product wasn't light and it wasn't easy to ship and we were actually doing drop shipping and it was just, uh, you know, we weren't able to meet our customers' expectations on delivery. So that's where the whole light, easy uh, to ship thing comes from. But the other thing is now, you know, that we have our own warehouse and we've had one for a number of years now, uh, you know, things that are larger just take up more room and they cost more money to store. So that's definitely a factor. The other factor is uh, we we don't want it to ever be an oversized item. at Am- You know, what Amazon qualifies as oversized item We've been uh, using Amazon to to help alleviate some of our fulfillment growing pains, uh, and we already have inventory at Amazon anyway, so we've just been letting them do fulfillment for us, and anything that's deemed to be oversized costs a lot more money. Uh, It's not something that's a steadfast role. We've actually been bringing in a couple things that are uh, small oversized items that uh, just have really good profitability that we're, we're looking at, but in general, we want it to be relatively small. But the the big key that we've been looking for that we've added to our list is some sort of consumability 
you know, we don't want to sell a product that is only going to be used or you're going to sell them to them one time. Like we have that problem with ice wraps. I mean, if we sell somebody, you know, they have a shoulder injury or whatever, we sell them a shoulder ice wrap. That's great. We make some money off of that, but they're not going to come back and buy another one. And, and the idea actually is you want to build a product that they don't have to buy another one, which is, is kind of bad, right? But in the coloring space, I mean, we can design a really high quality product where it's a consumable. There's 50 pages in each book. You know, our, our big fans are going to come back and buy more. They're going to use up our pencils. They're going to use up gel pens and markers. I think that that's really important. You know, the thing that we've really learned over the last uh, couple of years is it, you know, it costs a lot of money to acquire a customer. And we've gotten really good at customer acquisition. It's something we can talk about on this podcast. But, you know, if you have a, a product that you only sell somebody something once, it all becomes a one dimensional math problem. You sell it to them for 100 bucks, you buy it for 50, it costs. 15 to ship, you got $35 left over in profit. You want to make some money, you know, so you're only going to be able to spend 10, maybe $15 or whatever to acquire a customer. Now, if I can sell them over the course of a couple of years, the same $100 item, you know, use a round number again, uh, over and over again, I could pay the full $35 to get the customer in the door the first time. And I know uh, from doing email marketing and, and other uh, retention marketing that we have a, a higher lifetime value of a customer. That stuff's really important. So that's one of the other things that we look at uh, when determining new brands. Uh, that's why the baby niche to me is is great because we're we're going to be doing some baby clothing uh, and and other products that you know, obviously a, a baby eventually does, isn't a baby any longer. But the whole time that they're a baby, they grow really quickly and need new product nonstop. So I think that that like once we get a fan. Uh, you know, if we, hopefully we catch them early in the cycle where they're zero to three months old, we can then sell them a, a three to six month and then a six to 12 month and then a 12 to 18, 18 to 24 uh, and other, other products and toys and things of that nature. So I think that that's really important. And the other thing that we look for is passion. So, you know, ice wraps is another good example. We sell, you know, we're, we're be, we've been doing our own white label ice wrap products and, and doing quite well at it and it's lucrative, but people just aren't passionate about it. There, there's, we do get reviews and things like that, but they're not going to tell their friends, "Hey, check out this amazing ice pack that I got. It got really cold," <laughs> or you know, whatever. It's just it's not that exciting. But if you think of coloring or uh, babies or uh, the pet industry, people are really passionate about their kids. Obviously, they're really passionate about their pets. You can think of other things, uh, you know, like uh, interior design or. Uh, maybe golfing or something where people are just super passionate about it and, and they become your brand advocates for you. So I think, you know, these things are really important. And, you know, all the time people tell me, oh, you got really lucky to find this niche with coloring and blah, blah, blah. But the reality was, is it wasn't really lucky. I mean, we put down these criteria on paper. It's been something that took us a couple of years to develop. And you know, I can tell you all the stupid things we did beforehand, which were treadmills and uh, ice wraps to a smaller degree. But it took learning that the hard way to figure out some of these criteria. So I, I think that now we have a really refined process and I've kind of had that that aha moment of consumability and passion. And then also you still want things that are relatively light and at a good price point, good margin and all these other things that are important. But uh, some of these things you just can't you know, create, right? You can't create passion. You can't create uh, – Consumability. So if, you, if you're in an industry and I'm in a lot of masterminds and we do our own podcast and, and blogging and stuff and talk to a lot of people in the industry and there's just certain things that you just can't fix, right? And obviously if you already have a store, you know, I'm not saying just go scrap it and, and sell it or anything, but if you're at the point where you're still evaluating what to get into, I think these are very important criteria. Let's review this really quickly again. Consumerability, passion, long shelf life doesn't break easily were some of the criteria you mentioned. It obviously makes a lot of sense for an experienced entrepreneur like you. Uh, I do wonder though, can it be overwhelming for a first time entrepreneur when they're trying to find something that hits on all of these points? Would you recommend the same approach for new entrepreneurs or would you give them an easier list of criteria to work with? Yeah, I mean, it's a touchy subject. Uh, for me, I, I always recommend just getting started, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can you can be, you can have the whole like analysis paralysis thing. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I just saw this a lot, actually. I was at Steve Chu's event uh, for my wife quit her job, the Seller Summit, where he brought me in as a, a mentor and a speaker uh, for his VIP clients. And the thing I heard over and over again was I've been evaluating this for XYZ time. And, and that was usually a long period. And for me, like anything more than like two days is a long time, but like legitimately a long time, six months, a year, you know, a year and a half, two years. And you know, my thing was like, look, when you land, like go to Target 
and, and go to the clearance aisle and just buy something off the shelf and learn how to sell on Amazon, learn how to create a store, learn how to do these things. So by the time that you find the perfect product, you are in a position to that you already know how to do all these things. And that's why we've been able to be so successful with Color It so quickly. I mean, if it was our first store, we'd still be trying to figure out how to even you know, launch it, right? But I mean, we had already done all the hard work with Treadmill and with uh, CuttingBoard.com, which is another one that we own, and uh, Chopping Blocks, IceWraps.com. And you know, so we had all these other things that we did first uh, before we found the quote-unquote perfect thing and, and the other perfect things that we're working on. And, and that list continues to evolve, and you learn, you know, we'll probably learn things from the coloring industry that we'll realize were mistakes and, and, and build on that. But for me, like, I think that there's no time like the present to get started and, and go install Shopify Sell something, you know, get it, get it off of Alibaba. Do do the things I'm kind of telling you that aren't the best things. If you're, but at least you're getting started, and you learn how to do a store, you learn how to do some PPC, some Facebook ads, some customer support, how to take a credit card, how to do some design, email marketing. I mean, there's a lot to it, obviously. And like I said, we had already kind of figured out all those things by the time we launched Color It. I totally agree because you need a product before you can have a store, and you need a store before you can start learning and applying the things that you're learning. If you're stuck in this phase where you're trying to decide the very first step, you'll never start learning. So to avoid this analysis paralysis, if you had to just pick one, what is the most important criteria to hit on? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with two things. They're kind of intertwined. And I think the price point is incredibly important. I think, for, from at least from my standpoint, anything that has a lower than $10 uh, retail price is just a non-starter for us. And, and the reason is, is we always use Amazon as a proving ground to, to launch any business. And it's really difficult to make even a penny on Amazon if you start selling products at $8.99, $7.99, et cetera. They're, they have a, a floor pick and pack fee and a floor shipping fee that just eats up so much of your margin, uh, which is the second part of it, which is you, you don't want to just make 10% margin on things. You got to have enough meat left in it to, to make some money. So I, I never, ever sacrifice, you know, we don't bring in products that are under 10 bucks. We, we sell quite a few things that we sell at 9.99. I think that's a good, a good level to start at, but we don't sell things at 7.99. And, and I think that that's just something that is, we have to be hard and fast on. Mm-hmm. So pricing and what was the other one? The margin. I mean, I think, you know, what I realize again, over time, I mean, even if you're at a high dollar value, it doesn't make up for margin. So, I mean, treadmill is a really good example of that. We were selling $2,000 machines and we were making 10 to 15 points on it. And that sounds great. That's 300 bucks or 200 bucks. And that's a lot of money per transaction. And I equated that to kind of like a CPA back in the affiliate marketing days, a cost per acquisition type fee. But the reality is, is that your credit card transaction fee is still two, 3%. And you're still going to pay some money for PPC, and you're still going to have to have some SaaS applications to run your your company, and all these things add up. And a lot of them are percentage type based things. And you know, even just taking the credit card fee out of it, that's 25 percent of your profit when you're running at those thin margins. So, you know, for me, what we really realize is that there just has to be enough margin in the game. You have to be able to create enough perceived value with your product to where you can afford to run ads and do all the things that are necessary to acquire the customer and, and treat them right and, and be able to get a five-star product out there. Mm. Is there a margin threshold that you definitely want to be above? Yeah, I mean, we always try to double our money. So I mean, if we buy something for 50, we want to sell it at 100. That's kind of our absolute bottom line. Uh, we kind of cheat that a little bit and sometimes do 80%. So if we're Buying it for a hundred, we want to sell it for, or, or I shouldn't say sell it for a hundred. We want to get back from Amazon after all fees and everything. Uh, we want to get back a hundred, so uh, we look at total total profitability of it. And obviously, we make more when we sell it through our own store. But Amazon's obviously a large channel, and again, we use that as a proving ground. And that's how we launch Color. Actually, it'd probably be a cool thing to talk about here in just a minute. But we always look at that as like our base uh, for profitability. So if we're buying something. Landed here for fifty bucks. When we sell it after Amazon's fifteen percent fee and their pick, pack, and ship fee and you know, returns and all these other you know things that add up for for Amazon, we want a hundred dollars back from them uh, when they make our deposit every two weeks. Yeah, definitely want to talk about the whole using Amazon as a proving grounds and want to dive into that in a second. But before we get there, you mentioned Amazon reviews, Google Trends as a part of your market research. Are there any other tools or sites you check before you decide to hit the go button on launching a new business or a new product? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just intuition at this point. Um, 
you know, I, again, I has to meet all those criteria I mentioned before, the, the passion thing and, and consumability and all the other criteria. I don't want to, you know, keep going over them. Uh, but a lot of it from there is, you know, you're looking at is, is there sales volume, I guess would be the other thing. And Amazon or Jungle Scout or you know, some of these things are a good criteria. If you want to make sure there's like a, a depth to the market, it isn't just one one coloring book, for instance, that's selling and, and the second guy behind is just nothing. Uh, so we want to make sure that it's it's a pretty deep market. And and actually, you know, we, we uh, people think I'm crazy, but I actually think that the higher competition markets are, are better, um, you know, because there's more sales volume. And I want to, I'd rather have a, a small piece of a big pie than necessarily a large piece of a, a, a smaller pie because there's only just so many sales out there that you can get. So, you know, we look for depth of market, I think, is really important. Um, and there aren't really too many other tools that we use to, to make these determinations. I mean, there, there are other tools and things we look at when we're looking at buying existing websites, which we've done when we bought icestraps.com. That was a, a store that already existed, but that's a totally different animal. But for determining uh, brand new products and things that we're getting into, like the baby thing that we're doing, you know, a lot of it's just kind of common sense, right? It's There's a lot of babies being born. It's replenished, you know, the, the customers coming into the funnel, if you will, are being replenished continuously because there's always new kids and they're always growing. And, and then we looked at specific things that we wanted to sell, uh, you know, through Amazon and looked at the sales ranking, looked at Jungle Scouts, uh, you know, estimated daily sales and things of that nature, and then made the determination that that was a, a niche that we wanted to get into. And that's kind of how it's done. And, and we do it pretty quickly. I mean, I, I don't ever get the whole analysis paralysis thing. I really believe in the whole like shotgun effect through things at the wall and see what sticks. And you know, if you lose a little money in the process, you know, developing a product that doesn't work or whatever it might be, then so be it. It's just the cost of doing business. I think people get so caught up in and worried about you know losing a couple dollars uh, on, on something that they're developing new. I just don't worry about that. I mean, I make educated decisions. I don't just carelessly go out there and start buying stuff. But again, it was one of the things that kind of came up when I was at Seller Summit. You know, I mentioned you know how much did you spend to come fly down here, and how much did you spend the for this conference itself and a hotel room? You know, it's like two three thousand dollars. But yeah, people are embarrassed or or whatever to say I lost five dollars on some new product I was developing. It didn't work out. It just seems crazy to me, you know. So we just we continue to throw things at the wall, and the ones that stick, you know, stick really well a lot of times, and we have a really good success rate. I mean, we actually haven't even really developed a product yet that hasn't worked. There's there's one kind of exception. We developed this uh, knee brace that I'm not too happy with. I think it's going to probably be our our first true failure. But you know, out of 70 or 80 products we developed so far, so what? I'll throw like, I'll literally throw them in the trash can and not and not think a second thing of it. It's a couple thousand bucks, and and that's that, and you move on. So yeah, I think a mutual friend and podcaster of ours, Andrew Udarian, is similar to you where it's a logical and pragmatic approach to finding products and businesses to start. When Andrew was on the podcast, I asked him if you need to be passionate about the particular business or category you're in because there's this big push where you have to be passionate or maybe even be the target customer you're looking for. What are your thoughts on this? Do you need to be passionate? I can't imagine over 70 or 80 products that you've sold, all of them were passions of yours or, or were they? Uh, no, they're not, and 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 I do agree that, that the train of thought. If uh, you can be passionate about, it, I think it's a major plus. And I can tell you, you know, when I was doing the poker thing, the online poker affiliate marketing stuff, and we ran information sites about poker, and, and I was like living and breathing and just everything poker, oozing poker out of my pores at the time. I mean, I'm not really into it that much anymore, but at the time, it was just like consuming me. I I loved the game so much, and. And, and the people on the sport and, and, and the winning and losing and all these different things. And it really helped. It helped a lot. And I can tell you that I don't know the first thing about coloring. Uh, I can tell a, a high-quality product, one from the next. I mean, we've tested a lot of pencils and markers and, and paper. And, uh, you know, I can, I can tell that it's a high-quality product. I mean, my passion is actually building things from nothing and turning it into something and making people really happy in the process. So... It's the thing that drove me crazy about treadmill.com. I mean, I didn't really have any passion about treadmills, but you know, my passion was let's build out a, a website. We already own the domain name, and let's see what happens. And the reason that we sold it and I didn't ultimately like it is because, I mean, literally, I'm not even exaggerating here, like over 90% of our customers were pissed at us because you know, we just couldn't deliver products in a timely fashion. We're, we're shipping them on what's called LTL, less than truckload uh shipments it's not going ups or fedex where it's a guaranteed 
two, three, four days to get there, the trucking companies kind of decide to show up when they decide to show up. And it doesn't matter that you took a half a day off of work and you know, all these things to deliver it and, and then it shows up broken or you know, they drove a forklift through it or they send someone out there to assemble it that doesn't know what the heck they're doing and you know, all these different things. And it was just really uh, difficult for me. So you know, my passion really, I mean, truly lies in, in having happy customers. And if you go through and read the reviews on, on Color It, uh, you know, sometimes they actually make me slightly emotional. I mean, it's, uh, people say really amazing things about our product and it makes me feel really good. Uh, and, but yeah, I mean, if it was something like, I mean, I'm really into playing tennis, for instance, and I've looked at something I could possibly do in, in that industry or, uh, but it, it's, it's a tough industry to kind of break into when there's not a lot of product that you need. I mean, it's pretty simple. You need a racket, you need, uh, some tennis balls and, and a bag and, and there isn't really that consumability angle and all these other things that, and it just doesn't work. So the things that, you know, I just, I have a personal passion in didn't really align with the other criteria that I have for business. So, I mean, if you're lucky enough to be able to find something that you do have a passion in, uh, I've done some consulting work for people where, you know, they've been lucky enough to find something that they just really have a passion in and, and it really does make a difference. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to check that thing off at least. Mm, so would you include it in your list of criteria or is it more of a bonus I think it's a big, big bonus. I mean, it just, again, for us, those stars just didn't align. But I, I do adamantly agree that that's a big bonus. I mean, it, it helps with product design. It helps with, you know, knowing if you're kind of being misled or, or ripped off in a lot of ways. Uh, it helps with being able to write content or, or find other people that can help you with content. It helps with support and, you know, all these different, it, it helps from like basically every angle. Uh, you know, luckily for me, I mean, like I said, I can I can tell high quality products, right? So I mean, I can look at the stuff that's being sold at Walmart and tell the difference between our product and and I could read the reviews and make an educated determination on on the things that had to be improved, and that certainly helped. And not everybody necessarily has that knack, and it also does help that we go to China several times a year. We're actually just getting ready to leave again. Uh, to head over there in about ten days, and you know, having direct relationships with people over there make it a lot easier than trying to to figure things out through Alibaba or email. So there's definitely uh, you know a lot of other things that kind of go into it, but I, I do firmly believe that if you can find something that you have a passion in, uh, it makes a makes a big big difference. Yeah, I agree. I think when you have passion, it cuts down significantly on the learning curve, or at least it makes it a lot more tolerable when you're trying to understand everything. And when you are passionate, it makes it a lot easier to go through that learning curve phase. So let's talk about using Amazon as a proving grounds. And I guess then once you've proved it on Amazon, you can transition into your own site. So tell us more about this testing or proving ground period and what goes into it. Yeah, I think that this is really super important. So if you think back to, to 10 years ago, you know, before Amazon really existed, and if we wanted to launch a coloring book company at, at that time, the capital required and the time required to do it would have been exponentially higher. And we, we would have had to probably spend mid-six figures easily to, to launch a, a company like that. You would have to have a whole line of coloring books. You couldn't just release one book and see what happens. You can't go to somebody and say, hey, I have this one coloring book. Like, Are you interested in buying it? You'd have to go to like retail channels and uh, probably run print ads and television ads. And You might have your own website. You know, Websites did exist 10 years ago, but there wasn't like a lot of online e-commerce stuff that was happening at that time. So like the, the life cycle for development was just insane. And it's an unprecedented time in history here where you can take one product, relatively small quantity, and prove out a concept on Amazon and just see what happens. You could throw up, and that's what we did. I mean, we launched one book. Uh, it, the timeline was a little bit longer than I would have liked uh, if we were to you know, do five or ten books all at once or just really hit it full force. But we developed one book. We threw it up there. We waited to see if people agreed with all of our hypothesis, like do people actually care about hardback covers or spiral binding or, or the artist paper, or, you know, are they willing to pay extra for all that? You know, we, those were all questions that we didn't know the answer to. Right. And again, if we were to try to figure all that out without Amazon, it would just take uh, a fortune. So we bought the name color it, you know, cause I, I had pretty good idea. I mean, we're at a point where I have a lot of confidence in myself, so I don't cut corners. I think about the long term ahead of time, but so we bought color and, Made sure we, you know, we got our trademark and everything in order, uh, but we 
launch just on Amazon.com. We didn't launch Colorit.com as an e-commerce store. I just put a park page there that said, Colorit's coming soon. If you want more information, here's you know, a place to give us your email address. And that was it. And we put Google Analytics on there, and I waited to see how many people were coming there. And once we built up enough traffic and demand, or what I felt was enough demand on Colorit.com, then we launched the website. But that was a full... You know, six to nine months after we launched on Amazon, and at that point, we had already done hundreds of thousands of dollars in in sales on Amazon. And I knew that we could then build Colorit.com as its own standalone property because we have the expertise. But we we had already proved out the whole thing by then. And it was you know, there's a lot of uh, expenses to creating your own website and additional interference, and and you obviously have to deal with the fulfillment and more support and all these other things. So if you Break it down to people that are just kind of getting started. If you're using Amazon as that launching pad, it helps you get to market way, way quicker. And like I said, just a completely unprecedented time in history where you can take advantage of them. I always say, like, they take advantage of you. I mean, I'm not doing anything mischievous or anything. I don't try to, once we get uh, our website up, I don't try to take sales away from Amazon. In fact, I've become really at peace with the fact that an Amazon buyer is an Amazon buyer. And, you know, there's all these people that talk about, how can you eventually get people off Amazon and throwing inserts in? And we, we do some of this stuff. But, I mean, the reality is, is that these are people that are in a certain age group, certain demographic, uh, and, and they're prime members, right? And they're going to want to buy on Amazon anyway. They're already – Amazon's the largest search engine for, for shopping anyway. So why not have your products there and then also capture all the other people that are doing Google searches or other searches uh, – so you have your own website. So we look at Amazon as just a channel. Like long term, it's just a channel. And we want to not have all of our eggs in the Amazon basket. But at the same time, we can still use them to our advantage to start and prove a product, if that all makes sense. I really like that realization you came across that Amazon buyers will stay Amazon buyers. I want to talk through this process. Like you said, it's a great way to start quickly. So you put your product up on Amazon. Are you driving traffic to it or are you just waiting for the marketplace to organically discover your products on Amazon? Yeah, we don't really, I mean, we don't drive Facebook ads or Google AdWords or any of those types of things to Amazon. What we do is some of the giveaway stuff where we, you know, give a product away at a discount for your honest feedback, um, which I, I'm sensitive to because like Amazon has definitely come out with some bulletins about getting in trouble with that. But we we do it on a small scale just to get some initial reviews and, and feedback. Uh, but we use Amazon AdWords and we know how to build a listing with high quality photos and good good bullet points and description and title fill out all the keywords in the back end. I mean, all these things are actually incredibly important. And all those things together seem to be more than enough to get a product uh, springboarded on Amazon. And we just kind of take the the long-term organic approach. It, it does take two to three, sometimes four months for a product to kind of see its full potential, you know, to get the rankings up there and everything. And, and, it, and I'm fine with that. You know, we don't necessarily want to rank number one overnight. I think the people that try to do too much too quickly can get themselves in trouble. And I don't want to ever be in a position where Amazon comes down with a hammer like uh, Google has to so many people in the past. So you know, we're just kind of slow and steady. And like I said, we develop a product that naturally gets five-star or four-and-a-half-star reviews at the worst-case scenario naturally. So you know, I think the people that get themselves in trouble are people that go to Alibaba, you know, they ship things in, in a, a poly bag you know, with no decent packaging and you know, it's it, they 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 do some giveaways, and those people that they, they do the giveaways, they're kind of, it's kind of an unwritten rule. You're going to leave a five star review, so all these five star reviews come in, and then people start buying the product, and it's really a two star or a three star product, and that's where I think Amazon just really gets irritable. And so I, I don't feel disingenuous when we, you know, get some initial reviews because it's going to be a five star product anyway. I mean, very few people leave us less than a five-star review. With color, it's a little bit difficult sometimes because it's artwork and it is subjective. So we'll get the occasional one-star review where people are like, I just absolutely hate this. I don't understand why anybody buys this. You know, nasty, like hateful people uh, reviews. But And, and a, a one-star review uh, obviously really hurts. So that's typically why we have uh, four and a half stars uh, rankings on across the board on most of our products. Uh, several of them do have a solid five-star review though. And I think that that part's important. So the idea behind launching on Amazon is you're essentially waiting for reviews to come in to hear the customer feedback on the product and to make sure the assumptions you've made on what is important to the customer is actually what turns out to be important. Is that the goal? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's really important. And we made some adjustments uh, along the way. I mean, we got feedback 
through the review system of what people liked and didn't like, and we pivoted a little bit. I mean, it wasn't anything major, but we made some small changes along the way to our product. And and once we saw that the sales were strong and the comments were strong over a few month period of time, and then we also saw some people that were starting to come to ColorArt.com, that's when we launched ColorArt.com. And that was December of 2015. And within just about two or, th- or three months, we had sales of color at actually exceeding Amazon. And it's because that opens up another whole world to you. I mean, you get Facebook ads, which I think are the most powerful thing in e-commerce today, even over Amazon, uh, just because the targeting is so incredible. Uh, you can, in, for instance, with coloring, there's actually a, an interest targeting of like 2.2 million people in the United States that have an interest in coloring. That's just amazing that you can't reproduce that in, in any other ad medium. Another unprecedented time in history, if you think about how television commercials are delivered and most of the people that are watching them, it, the, the ad's completely irrelevant to them. I mean, if you think about like a Viagra ad or something where there's there's only a small portion of people uh, in, that are sitting there watching uh, some e- evening sitcom that, you know, the kids in the room certainly don't need it and the, the grandparents don't need it and the women don't need it. So, you know, it's just one of these things where you're advertising to a bunch of people that, that don't care. Much waste, yeah. So Facebook, you know, I'm putting an ad right in front of someone that I know likes coloring books. So that was another huge thing for us that that really propelled us. But yeah, I mean, the Amazon thing is a great. Uh, it, that was a lot of work, though, obviously, to get the website up, and we we really focused on conversions and having a really good looking website and and all these things. And I'm quite proud of all the product we have up there, the the website itself. But there was no need to do all that to begin with, right? I mean, it's why not at least just try it on Amazon first is kind of the, the thought process. And you can do this not just for a brand new business, but also for a product line that you're launching underneath the same business. Would you turn to Amazon to prove it out before launching on your own site, or is the process different here? Yeah, no, I mean, we're the baby brand that we're going to be launching here in the next couple months. We're going to do the same process. So we're going to, we already bought the domain name, uh, we got the trademark, uh, we, we started with that. Because we think our degree is, or we're going to have a high degree of success, and we don't want to just throw it up there as a non-brand name product, and uh, you know, see if it does well, and then have to go back and rebrand everything, and, um, and and find a different name and all that. We want to be able to continue with our momentum, so we do take a little bit of risk up front in buying uh, a four or five figure domain name, depending on what we're looking to do. Uh, to have a good, a good like colorit.com was, I, I think we paid like twenty five hundred for it. We got a really good deal on it. I think that's a good upfront investment, and we also got the trademark. Um, so from there, with the baby stuff that we're going to be doing, we'll we'll throw the products up there uh, with the brand name that we picked, and we'll see how it goes. And if people leave us five star reviews and we see strong sales, then we'll go develop the website. And you can do this not just for a brand new business, but also for a product line that you're launching underneath the same business. Would you turn to Amazon to prove it out before launching on your own site, or is the process different here? So, I mean, you hear the same things over and over again, and I don't know why people take this for granted so much. It's just absolutely amazing to me, and it's really simple. I mean, you got to have a title that has, it's keyword rich, and, and you can use something like Merchant Words, or uh, there's some other products out there that help you do the keyword research. But you got to have a keyword rich title because that's one of the things that Amazon uses for rankings. But the title's got to be written in a way that makes people want to click through. If you if you look at Amazon results, if you type in coloring books or whatever, and you look at the results, you get very little real estate and a sea of a whole ton of products. And the title is one of the things that's going to help you with the click-through rate. And people or Amazon ranks products uh, based on the click-through rate. So a title that makes people want to click through and read your product. And the same thing goes for the picture. I see so many low-quality pictures out there all the time, and it just it makes me shake my head. I mean, it's it's good in a way when I'm looking to get into a market, and if I see that, I see it as an opportunity. But for people that are selling on Amazon, the photos are incredibly important. It, it's you know, People are not in a store touching and feeling your product. They're online, and the only line they have to your product or the way to understand and, and get a feel for your product is the product photos. And so we've... We've actually gone and hired a professional photographer to go back. We've, we're taking it to another complete level. We've, we've always had good photography, but we're really going to kick it up even a notch higher. And you know, they give you nine photos. Use them all. But the minimum is six, and we found the threshold to be six. If we have four photos, it doesn't perform nearly as well as when we have, we have six. It seems to be kind of the magic number. But we're going back and putting all nine photos in. And then 
use all the real estate. You got bullet points and description. We use every single character that's available to us. We fill it up with not useless information, and we don't want to have a bunch of filler crap in there, but we try to write it in a way that answers people's the common questions that you see coming in on, on Amazon Answers and the things that people are talking about when they leave a negative review. Uh, and that's what, something we do early on. When we launch a product, you don't really know what people are going to complain about. It, as soon as we see any complaint at all of any kind, we put it in our description saying, you know, this product is not for people that are looking for XYZ or beware that the dimensions of this are XYZ or, or whatever it is. You don't want people to buy the product. They're going to be mad, right? So you, you, you actually want to deter sales, in my opinion. It, it makes sure that the listing hits on all the things that would make them not want to buy if, if they're not going to ultimately want the product. I think that that's really important. And then the other thing is the keyword fields in the back end of Amazon. Uh, it's incredibly important to have all those. You get five fields of 1,000 characters each. Make sure that those are all completely filled out. You don't want to repeat words. You don't need commas or dashes or any of those types of things. Just fill it up with a bunch of words that relate to your products or even competitors, uh, brand names even you can put in there. Um, and then we run uh, ads. We run product ads. They do incredibly well. You can start out with automatic targeting to begin with and do some research on what on what's working and what's not. Then we go back and, and revise our listings later with uh, better keywords and better or different places based on what keywords seem to be performing in, in PPC. And then we'll eventually switch our PPC to manual and get them get them dialed in. But Amazon PPC is a great way to, to get things kicked off. And it's still not uh, like Google PPC where it just, it, it's so the margins are so thin on Google PPC these days because so many people are doing it. There's still room left in, in Amazon PPC to make some money. Uh, and that's kind of the strategy that we take with our Amazon listings. And eventually... Uh, they start to rank organically, and then you just so it just it all builds on itself. It's all it's a uh, kind of a propulsion system, right? So as you get your first sale, your bestseller ranking goes up, and as you get your your bestseller ranking goes up, you start to rank a little bit better. As you rank a little bit better, you get a couple more sales, and you know it just kind of piles on each other. And eventually, next thing you know, you're selling you know 50 units a day of a particular product, and you have a great BSR in your ranking, and you know life is good. That's awesome. You really laid the blueprint for getting started very quickly on Amazon. So let's talk about what to do when you actually have your own business, your own store, your own site. What channels do you focus on today to drive traffic and sales to your own website? Yeah, so Facebook ads have been by far and away the most profitable for us. We've tried Instagram and Twitter ads and Pinterest ads and just not had nearly as good a luck. Facebook just has such good targeting that it, it makes it uh, just um, really amazing. And so to me, like I always use the analogy these days of uh, e-commerce being kind of like an eight-cylinder car engine. And if you're going down the highway with all eight cylinders humming, you're going to do great. But if you have a spark plug that dies, you're going to notice really quickly like performance degradation. And if two spark plug goes out, you're going to have to probably pull over the side of the road and and just give up. And I think that there's a lot of moving parts to e-commerce. you got to be doing everything right you know, from Facebook ads to Getting reviews, doing email marketing, having a good product, having you know, responding to all your social platforms, and uh, having a site that converts well, and uh, that's that's doing SEO correctly, and all these different things. If if you aren't, the guys that are doing all those things are going to kind of eat your lunch. So it can be a little overwhelming. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why we've been successful is because we're kind of hitting on all the right things. So I mean, it isn't just the fact that we're doing Facebook ads, but I think the fact that our we have a good-looking website that we've put a lot of effort into and thought process into the layout of uh, that converts really high. That allows us to – I mean, one of the things you kind of asked me ahead of time, I'll, I'll uh, peel back the onion here a little bit. Our conversion rate on color is 3.65% over the last uh, 30 days, uh, which is on the higher end of, of e-commerce sites. And you know, if we had a site that converted at 1%, suddenly – you know, instead of paying ten dollars to acquire our customer, we're paying thirty-six dollars to acquire our customer, and it, it makes a huge difference. So I think that having a, a site that converts well and does all these different things is really important. And there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, you know, we we do a lot of social proof. We you know, as a part of our uh, first-time purchase sequence, when someone buys, we ask them for a selfie of the of the product, and we also have uh, the the uh, hashtag my color it so people can take a picture of. Their photo, and we use a product called Tag Tray that integrates with uh, Shopify, and Yapo does this now as well. 
uh, so people can take a photo of the product and we have a live feed that's on our website and just all this social proof that goes into uh, why people want to buy our product. And we put a lot of effort into our About Us page and we thought a lot about like how our product page is laid out and put a lot of effort into showing all the details of what makes our product better. And the idea is that by the time people get to the end of these pages, they, they, they just want to throw the money at you. <laughs> Um, kind of thing. And, and obviously that takes some work and, and some thought process. So yeah, but I mean, I guess the, the question you asked uh, early on is like, how, how do we initially acquire customers? And, and the, typically, at least right now, it's, it's all based off of Facebook uh, to start with. And then we put a lot of effort into email marketing once we've acquired the customer uh, or got them to our site at least. I mean, and, and we don't ever, we don't, uh, try to get necessarily a conversion the first time someone hits our site. That's another thing that's really important these days. Uh, it's really kind of flipped the the world on its head. I mean, for us online marketers, I think back to ten years ago, or even you know just uh, nine months ago, or, or, or eighteen months ago, the whole philosophy has always been: you get people to your site and you convert X percentage of that of that audience, right, or that that traffic. So. People talk about conversion rate. Oh, you get a two percent conversion rate, and pat yourself on the back. Think that's pretty good. Or even if you have a four percent conversion rate on ice reps, we have a three point eight percent conversion rate. I think that that's amazing. And you look at that, go, oh wow, that's great. And and it's just kind of acceptably, you know, you're deemed to be successful at that point, and and not really need to put any extra effort into it. But what we found is that by just getting people to our site through Facebook ads or whatever or other or other means, you can then do retargeting. Uh, and then offer them something special. We we have uh, lead magnets, and we've also started a free plus shipping offer to where we can actually get the product in people's hands. That's been doing phenomenal. And we look at the life cycle of acquiring a customer instead of it being one and done where someone comes to the website, and if you don't get them right then and there, they leave and you never see them again. We take a completely different approach to it might take three months for them to convert into a customer, even six months of just us getting them on an email list and, and pestering them uh, with offers and deals and amazing content and, and things of that nature until we finally convert them. So we, that's another reason why we've been uh, successful also is because we've been taking that approach. No, I totally agree that there's way more mileage you can get out of just buying the ad or buying the visitor. There's more ways to stretch that out, like retargeting, getting them onto an email list, or just getting the product into their hands for the first time. So I want to talk specifically about lead magnets. And just to explain to anyone out there that might not know what is a lead magnet, a lead magnet is just a way to get someone on your email list in exchange for some kind of incentive. So how do you determine what lead magnet you should create? Yeah, so... Uh, this is something I think is really important as well is you know, people, I think they they might listen to this podcast and go, oh, we need to make a lead magnet. And it's kind of a, a catchy term. And you go out, you pick one thing, you try it and it doesn't work. And you're like, a lead magnet sucks. <laughs> so you know, the, the answer to the question is we pick 10 lead magnets or, or 10 different pages or ideas or things. And like, just like we do with a product and you know which ones we're going to develop and throw them all and see which one sticks, it's the same thing with the lead magnet. So we've developed a couple different ones for Color It so far. I mean, each one does take time. But the ones that have been successful so far have been Contest, which is a, a form of a lead magnet where uh, people get something for free uh, on a random drawing based on actions that they take. And the more actions they take, the more points they get or, or lottery tickets into the into the fishbowl, for, for instance. And that's actually kind of how we launched Color It to begin with. It just it worked phenomenally well for us. And then it kind of sputtered out a little bit, but it's still something that we do every month and still brings us lots of new business and attention. And we post on social media every day about like who's won and like it, it's a good way to keep our channel active. So it's done really well for us as a lead magnet. The other lead magnet that we've done is uh, 10, or I'm sorry, four free downloadable c- coloring pages. And it, to begin with, it, it kind of bombed. Like, kind of like I mentioned, uh, you try it and it just doesn't work and you kind of have like this deflated feeling. But the reason that we eventually got it to work is because we just kept on trying different angles. We tried different ad copy. We tried different landing pages. Uh, we tried different uh, post lead magnet sign-up funnels until the point where it became widely successful and profitable. And we've acquired, uh, I'm going off the top of my head here, somewhere between like thirteen and 15,000 email addresses through that one particular lead magnet at a cost of 24 and a half cents per per lead not not per click i mean our cost per click was something like 17 cents 
because our conversion rate on that landing page is like 81%, uh, which is just insane. And it, again, to start with, it sucked. I mean, we had like a 20% conversion rate and our cost per click was over a dollar and it just was like a, a huge failure. But you keep on trying different ad copy, different uh, landing page copy until we got it dialed in just right. And then we like ran uh, something like a 30 or 20 part, I think it's like a 20 part uh, post uh, lead magnet sequence and email where we just, it, we don't give them all the, the drawings at once. We give it to them over a month period. So we, and we alternate back and forth uh, with give them something for free, something of value, and then trying something that has some sales aspect to it or something at least about our company. And then at the very end of that process that they still haven't bought, that's when we offer them a discount or a coupon. So we don't come after them with a very salesy approach like right off the bat. And then what we did is we like saw the success of that and we were like, okay, well, the, the problem here is that even though our artwork, is, we think it's special, I mean, but it's really not necessarily that special, even though it's hand-drawn and it's, it's neat artwork. The real differentiator with our product is actually our paper, and we use like amazing artist-quality paper. So I was like, how can we actually get the best quality of the product in, in someone's hands uh, and, and still do a lead magnet? So we did this free-plus shipping offer where we give people 10 pages that are printed out on our actual color, coloring book paper and mail them to them. Uh, and we we do that for free. They just have to pay shipping. And the shipping charge that we charge covers the cost of the actual shipping and the production of the product. And we get their email address and get to 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 pester them, as I say, after after that shows up. And we basically do a a multi part email sequence of thank you for ordering your your thing showed up. What do you think about it? Uh, and uh, please share your your stuff with us and et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually we offer them a discount to order a book. If they, and that's the neat thing about Clavio is you can, you know, we don't send, there's no reason to send someone a discount offer if they've already purchased, right? So we just exclude those coupon offers uh, if someone's already purchased. But if they haven't, maybe that's the little kick in the butt that they need uh, to make a purchase. So that's kind of the way that we would do it. I really like that idea of doing the free plus shipping to get customers to see the differentiator of your product. But how do you know that was what people cared about, that they cared about the paper itself? Was it just based on reviews, your own hunches? If someone wants to do something similar and they want to identify what is it that they need people to experience, how do you identify that? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. Um, you know, we it, it, I look at our book, or you can look at the reviews and just kind of get a feel. We were looking at the comments of people that downloaded, or we would send them an email at the end of the sequence just saying, where did we go wrong? I think that's actually a, a great subject line for people to use as a part of their email marketing strategy. And we just asked them simply, where did we go wrong? You haven't actually bought from us yet. How come? And then they emailed us. And it's like, oh, you know, I like your drawings, but don't really want to spend 15 bucks for a coloring book. I can buy one at the dollar store for three bucks. And of course, we're furious because it's not the same thing as the thing at the dollar store for three bucks. How do you show them the difference? And you got to get it in their hand, right? That's how the whole thing kind of kind of came together. And you know, the thing that was nice about the the just free download part is it allowed us to test the funnel of offering just a freebie lead magnet because uh, it was something we hadn't really done before and proven all the way through. So it was all kind of building blocks, and so we went from. You know, having something that was successful to having something that was ultra successful because we we made it even better, and it kind of solved that problem that we've been having of trying to show people why our product is is as good as it is. Yeah, I think that's a great approach, especially when you are selling online where you have this touch-feel gap that exists because people can't hold the product itself. If you can find a way that's profitable or break even to get the product in their hands, you should definitely consider that approach. So speaking of that, do you pay close attention to the numbers? Do you try not to lose money on the free plus shipping or is it okay to lose some money? What are your thoughts on that? So to start with, we're trying to, to not lose a lot of money or break even kind of in that in that range because you don't know like how the math is going to work out long term right so at the beginning you're, you're a little skittish uh, you know I don't want to we we've done a couple thousand of these now so I mean we've it's been there's a bunch in the pipeline and and I think that we need to give it a few months to really see the long term uh, benefit but our conversion rate so far has been about 6% of people that have purchased the the free plus shipping offer have then gone on and bought at least one other product, uh, which I think is pretty high, uh, especially since it's still relatively new. I mean, I think even though we've done a couple thousand of them, or over a thousand, I should say, 
uh, it's really only been running for like six weeks, uh, if that. And, and in the beginning, we didn't have like all the email funnel part built out and, uh, you know, just kind of let's just see what happens kind of thing. We, we threw up a, a very basic page to just see if people would even, would even buy it. Like why bother writing all the post email sequence uh, if it doesn't sell, right? So um, the first several hundred didn't have all the email components to it. And now looking at it overall, uh, and I, I don't have a way of breaking out before we start out on all the funnel uh, to after. Clavio doesn't really let us do that, but overall it's converting at about 6%. And, and we know the average customer is going to probably order again on top of that. So I think we'll get that number above 10% uh, over the long long haul. We'll, we'll figure out what we can do and you know what we're doing right and, and improve upon it and get it above 10%. And we have some higher value products that are coming into our catalog that are going to make it the math even better. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at in, in the beginning here with this offer. Awesome. In terms of running the store itself, are there any other apps that you use or recommend others check out on Shopify or outside Shopify that you and your team use to run the business? Outside of Shopify, we were using uh, Stitch Labs, but we just got off of that and uh, moved over to Skubana. Uh, just, just actually this week, uh, fully implemented Skubana. We had been running half of our business off of Skubana and half of it off of Stitch for about six weeks and finally just got everything done. Um, it's an expensive platform, uh, but it does some amazing automation stuff. I mean, our business has gotten uh, pretty complicated. We're hitting the 10,000 order per month uh, mark at this point uh, across all of our e-commerce stuff. Uh, and we sell on Amazon and BigCommerce and Shopify and eBay and Etsy and you know have our own inventory in our own warehouse here. We have inventory at FBA. We have inventory uh, at 3PLs. We have inventory at some manufacturers that we work with that make our product and then store uh, so we don't have to ship in another time. Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts to our business, and Scubana helps keep all that uh, from kind of unraveling. And it also has something called order bots, which are pretty darn neat. Uh, if you've ever come from the programming background, it's kind of like an if-then statement. So you can say if and pick one of the zillion criteria. It can be if it's this product or if it was ordered from this channel or if the customer's from this state or this country or the product weighs X number of pounds or any type of product, anything you can basically think of. They have this drop-down list that's like 60 to 80 things in it. It's incredible. So you can say if – like here's an example that we we use. If, if they order from colorit.com and it's one of these products and they live in the um, 48 U.S. states uh, and they pick standard shipping – uh, send it off to Amazon FBA for fulfillment standard. And then we have another order bot that does all the same things. And if they ordered expedited shipping, then we send it out uh, expedited instead. And that happens all automatically. So we don't have to touch any of those orders. Uh, it's really cut down on our fulfillment process quite a bit. Uh, we were at a point where we were going to have to hire another full-time person. Uh, and we basically eliminated the need for that, which is is good. Because like, I don't want to have a, a company with a, a, ton, a ton of employees. Uh, been there, done that. So... Um, so yeah, Scubana has been good for that. Uh, we use Yapo, which I think is a little overpriced, but uh, probably the best uh, review platform out there. And reviews are one of the biggest drivers of uh, uh, you know conversion rates. So I think it's really important. Uh, we use something called Gleam.io. It's uh, what we use for our contests. Uh, not necessarily the best platform out there. I'm sure people can come up with something better. But the reason we went with them is because they have a uh, native integration with Clavio, uh, which I already mentioned Clavio. Uh, I don't think that anybody would argue that Clavio is the best email platform for e-commerce, specifically for e-commerce, especially with Shopify. Its integration is incredible. Um, and then we use a couple other apps. We have, uh, let's see here, we have TagTray, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, we use uh, OptiMonk and Just you know for exit intent pop-ups. We've been testing both of those uh, side-by-side on different sites. Uh, and let's see, we have another uh, one in here that's not that big of a deal. We use a thing called Order Printer Templates. Uh, it's a, I think it's a free app uh, that just makes nicer-looking receipts. And then we also use Receiptful, uh, which makes uh, nice uh, email receipts. Awesome. So with those strategies and the marketing that you t- uh, talked to us about today, can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? Yeah, so overall, with all the e-commerce stuff we're doing, uh, we'll probably do somewhere like between 2.5 and 3 million this year. Uh, Color it and I stress both uh, are seven figure businesses, uh, respectively, between you know the, st- the store itself and the stuff that does on Amazon. Uh, and we've been growing 
at a really fast pace. I mean, we sold treadmill.com, uh, which was our only only real site at the time. We also had cuttingboard.com that we had just launched. Uh, we sold that back in January of 2015. So we basically started over at zero again but back at that time. So I, I'm pretty proud of what, we, what we've been able to do in uh, about a year and a half at this point. And we're at a point for, I, I think, like exponential growth this year because um, we're, we're just really hit our stride with developing our own white label products. So I'm really excited to see what happens over the next 12 months. Uh, well, we talk a lot about what we're doing specifically at ecomcrew.com, which you mentioned. And you also mentioned uh, Andrew Udarian earlier in this podcast. I have uh, man love for that guy. That guy is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, but uh, I owe a lot of my success uh, actually to him and just the community that he has over at, at ecommercefuel.com. And I think that the threshold is a quarter million dollars a year. If you're doing a quarter million dollars a year, uh, I would definitely check out ecommercefuel.com and, and look at joining a community and getting involved with other like-minded entrepreneurs. I mean, that's definitely been a part of the things that's led to my success over the last year and a half. I mean, I, I might seem like the, a smart guy uh, a lot of times, but it's mostly because other people are teaching me how to be smart. And uh, you know, some of this stuff I figure out on my own, but a lot of it is just sharing knowledge with other people and it, it can really make a difference in your life and your business. Yeah, you've definitely done the same for a lot of the listeners of this podcast and speaking of podcasts, you guys also run a podcast of your own. Is it just called the Ecom Crew Podcast? How can they find and listen to your episodes? Yep, Ecom Crew, it's on iTunes and ecomcrew.com as well. But if you search for Ecom Crew, E-C-O-M-C-R-E-W, you'll see it in iTunes. Thanks again so much, Mike. No worries. It's been great uh, coming on. I love uh, checking out or being a guest on a podcast that I've been an avid listener for a long time. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.